Hey, that's, that's really pretty long to be learning. They're, they're doing a great job doing that. Thank you for you guys if you're, if you're working on that at home and, and all of that. We appreciate that. I count it a joy each week to do that together. Uh, well, I'd love to ask Miss Grace Johnson if she would come up. And during this time, if you don't know, Grace is uh, one of the members of our church, and she's also director of the BCM. And we wanted to have a moment here this morning. Uh, if you don't know, and I'm thinking a lot of you do know, this is the time of year where a lot of people are headed back to college. And so we wanted the opportunity to just uh, highlight a special part of our service to pray for them and to pray blessing over their families and their time. And Grace is going to pray for us right now. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, before I do that, I just want, if you are a college student, whether you're new or returning, will you just raise your hand or make some noise? Where are you? And I want you to look around. How many of you, like so many of you back there? That's awesome. What about families of college students? Are you guys here with us this morning? Oh, let's give them a hand for coming to church with us. That's awesome. Well, I, I think I speak for Matthew's table when I say we're really excited you guys are back. Um, so thanks for coming to see us or be with us this morning to worship the Lord together. And I would love to pray for you and over you, if that's okay. Um, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for a Sunday morning that we get to be together as a church family and worship you for all generations, God. Lord, I specifically want to lift up our college students today. Um, whether they are an incoming freshman or whether they are a master's student or anywhere in between, God. Lord, I just ask that you would that you would bless them, Lord. As they start back to school this week or next week, if they're with Cleveland State, Lord, I just pray that you would go before them. Lord, that you would ground them in your word, the truth. Even if they're at a Christian school, God, I pray that you would continually um, help them to press into you. Help them to um, walk with you. And Lord, I pray that you would surround them with community that is able to encourage them and exhort them in that, Lord. I also pray that you would give them perseverance as the semester gets really crazy really quickly, God. And I pray that in all the busyness that their eyes would be maintained and fixed on you. Um, Lord, that in all the things that they're doing and that they're juggling, whether that's school and a job and friendship or relationships, family, Lord, that you would, Lord, I pray that you would just help them to be grounded. Um, Lord, I pray that in the busyness that they would still be able to look up and see you, God, and that you would, you would hold them steady. And Lord, this semester and this year, I pray that you would impress on their hearts, God, that in whatever is going on in their lives, that they would use this season of school right now to glorify you. Lord, I pray that they would be able to leverage it for the gospel and for your kingdom, God. And Lord, I just ask that you would give them joy, that you would give them peace. I pray that you would help them to make friends. I pray that you would um, help them maybe to step away from unhealthy friendships, God. Lord, please help them to be diligent in their classes and um, to know that in all the things that they're doing, they can honor you through that. Whether it's as simple as studying for a test, God, or sitting next to someone in the cafeteria that's by themselves. And Lord, in all things, I pray that you would just guard them and protect them and help them to grow closer to you through their time in school. And Lord, I also want to pray for their families that are here. Thank you so much for their support of their children and for this church, God. I pray that you would bless them as they go back home today or soon, um, that you would just be with them as they leave their student behind at school. 
God, I praise you, and we love you, and thank you so much for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Grace. We appreciate that a lot. Well, I've had the opportunity all summer long of doing introductions for people that are coming up for speaking, and so hopefully this is the last time I'm going to do that. But I thought I would do it one last time, because this morning um, we have Rusty Langford returning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. And so for those of you who don't know, Rusty's been on sabbatical for three months and he is returning to us now. He was here last week. His family just came and joined and worshiped with us, but this will be his first time coming back to share with us since then. And so we're just very glad to have him and have him back. And uh, yeah, why don't you come on up, Rusty? All right, well, it's, it's great to be back, and I know a lot of you probably didn't even know I was gone, if you're just back, but, uh, yeah, just a second. All right. So, Moses... to rest and be with the Lord, and it's great to be back. And I'm going to talk about that some this week, but I don't want to make the whole time a report. And over the next four weeks, we're just going to go through Psalm 23, and there'll be some reflections. What I don't want to do is not speak to it, because I'm so grateful for all the people that worked so hard to make this possible. Again, if you're new, we had several different people from our church teach and preach over this period, lots of organization. Lots of work, and it was just great to be able to rest and not worry about those things. But it's great to be back, and uh, if you want to know more, feel free to, to grab me or Cassie or our family and talk to us. We're trying to make it around to the missional communities to share. We'll be at Magnolia this afternoon at 2. But for now, let's go to John chapter 21. We're going to read this chapter. I know that for a lot of you, reading a whole chapter or most of it is, is maybe going to be new or different, but we're going to do it. And now that you got comfortable, I'm going to ask you to all stand as we honor the uniquely wonderful Word of God. John 21, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of his were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out that night into the boat, and they didn't catch anything. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, cast to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, just about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die, but that if it's my will he remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is disciple, the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into truth. Help us to see ourselves. Help us to see you. Help us to see the glory of Christ and the greatness of his grace, that we might grow in your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this message, I'm going to repeat some things that you guys have heard before, particularly some stories that you've heard before. But one thing that's become clear to me over this season of being away for this extended type of rest is that we, we need repetition. We need to remember who we are. We need to create space to not be in a hurry just to learn new things in our heads, but to actually get things lived out in our hearts. I'm so thankful for this time of sabbatical, but I'm thankful for one reason is that we didn't do it because we were burnt out. We did it because it was just scheduled so that we would have a space to, to rest so that we did not become burnt out. And if you don't know, burnout is a very real thing. It's a very real thing for pastors. Some, some uh, studies show, and you can go look this up and Google it, that most seminary trained pastors will not last five years after they get started. 80% will not be in ministry 10 years later, and 100% of 
of, of one study of Reformed and Evangelical pastors, 100% had had a colleague who had left the ministry because of burnout. Barner reported in December of 2021 that 38% of pastors had considered quitting the ministry just at the end of that year. This is not going to be a sermon about pastors. It's just a part of me to say thank you, but it's real. We're a church that planted ourselves with sort of a tagline, or totally, that says we want to make Jesus known to the broken, to the burnt out, and the bored. Because we know it's easy to get burnt out in life, and it's almost sometimes easier yet sadly to get burnt out in the church. All disciples get burnt out. But what I want to propose from our text today, and I think from our experience, from Scripture, we could say from tradition, from reason, is that burnout is not primarily because we are too busy. I know that might sound contradictory to some of you. It's a big part of it. Burnout is because you get burnt. Burnout happens because you give yourself to God and you say, God, I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to check all the boxes. I'm going to be the, the best church person, the best disciple, the best studently university has ever seen. I'm going to be the best dad, the best mom, the best child, the best teacher. And then guess what happens? God does not meet his expectations that you had for him on the other side of that. Because you don't want to say it out loud, but you thought, if I do this, then God will give me fill in the blank. I will get my return on my investment. And then there's other people involved, right? Ooh, I'm going to be a part of this church that really is all about community. Won't that be awesome? It will be awesome until you actually have to have a real relationship. <laughs> right? Because we all like the idea of community, right? As long as it's controlled. And as long as in the end, again, if we're willing to say it, we get what we want. And we're willing to sacrifice, we're willing to go through some stuff. But if we're honest, we've got a script, a story that we need to play out a certain way within a certain period of time. Or we will throw in the towel. This happens in our church, again, even though we're a church that says we, we want to be the opposite of the burnout. We can all get burnout, we can all get hurt. People hurt us. Right? We hurt one another. Most of us have hurt one another in this room if you've been here for any period of time. And what sometimes can be harder is not when you're on the receiving end of the hurt, but when you find yourself on the giving end of it. Oh man, that really stings. That really stings. It hurts our pride. And yet we find ourselves there. And then we start to think, is this even worth it? Is this even worth it? Does this work? And again, we all got to go ask ourselves, what do we mean by work? Usually it's, when it gets to the end, I thought my story was supposed to be that. Does, does living in missional community, we start to say, does it work? Does being in these fight clubs, these, if you're new here, these gender-specific groups of 
three or five people or so who try to bear their lives together. Is it just work? And even more than like the church stuff, you, if you really, just so you know, we're not trying to be legalists, but like Jesus had a community of people he lived with on mission, and Jesus had a few people he got along with on the side. We're just trying to do the best we can to do like Jesus. But what really gets hard is in your heart where you're like, you might not want to say it out loud, but it's like, does this whole Jesus thing really work? Some of you might be there right now. So, you get so sad, and if you're honest, you get so mad. Why not in my busy life can I just not find a church where I can slide in on a Sunday morning and slide out? I can have friendships with other Christians at my convenience, and if it gets too hard, I can just hit eject because I've not made any commitments. We were just united around maybe a Bible study, or we were just, you know, sign me up for that. Right? You're like, hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Why don't we just totally play make-believe that Jesus doesn't even care about the local church, right? And, And we can just all go sit on a rock in a mountain, right, with our Bible, and, and, and you won't have to be patient with anybody else. When we get into this thing, we can be so motivated by the mission, the love of the mission, community, church. But if we're going to keep following Jesus, if we're going to get where he gets Peter in this text, we have got to be motivated by something much more powerful than the mission or the community. Being motivated to live with Jesus on mission is great. It is not going to keep you going. Being motivated to be a part of a disciple-making community is great. It will not keep you going. Having a sabbatical or a Sabbath is great. Or any spiritual discipline you want to fill in the blank, great. I'm fans of all these things I'm talking about. But it will not power you to persevere apart from the one thing that our text this morning is going to bring us face to face with. It'll work for a while, but then it won't. When you love people and they don't love you back like you want to, when you love a church and it doesn't meet your expectations, when you live on mission and people don't respond, what's your next move? If we are powered by the love of other people, then we will find ourselves not having the power to love other people. If we are powered by love for the church, then when the church doesn't love us or meet our expectations, we will not find ourselves with the motivation to actually love the body and the bride of Christ. Whew, this, is, this is where I live in this tension. This is why I'm, we're talking about this this morning. And if you think I'm just doing this to pick on somebody in here, I'm not. You can ask Tim. This is not a new message. This is one I'm going back to. Some of you have heard this, and I'm going to tell the same stories, but I think it's important we come back here. But it's good we're not alone because we got Peter, knucklehead number one, right? Aren't we all glad that, there's, that Peter is in the Bible? The guy who can stick his foot in his mouth over and over again, who says what he's thinking, and Jesus doesn't kick him to the curb. And here he is, disillusioned, defeated, 
doubting, going fishing, and yet finding a motivation that can power him through his own failures and those of his expectations, and that is the love of Jesus. It doesn't get more simpler than that, and it does not get more powerful. We must be motivated by the power of a love for Jesus if we are going to make it on a life on mission for Jesus. I want to say this another way, really clear. A love for Jesus, not a life for Jesus, powers us on the mission of Jesus. It's a fine distinction, but it's, it's, it's really a make or break one. A love for Jesus, not a life for Jesus, powers us on the mission of Jesus. How do we see this in our text? You're thinking, this guy's been not preached for three months. This, we're going to be here forever, but I'm going to do my best. The first thing is, we've got to face the shadow of our powerless loves for Jesus. Now, now we see this in the backdrop of this text. Remember, we're talking about Peter. Who is Peter? Peter is the guy who says, I will never fail you. These other chumps standing around here, yeah, I see what you're saying, Jesus. Everybody's eventually, it's going to be so hard, but not me. I'm not like other people. Not like other people. And then, and then this, this classic scene that should be some foreshadowing is Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And Peter's like, well, you don't got to wash mine. I'm good. Let me wash yours. Peter is the guy who will outwork anybody, outpassion anybody, and outlast anybody. And some of you are probably like that, right? I'll do the training. I'll read the book, I'll serve, put me, in it, put me in more than one MC, put me in more than one fight club, and, and you're just like Peter, until dot, 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 that thing happened that wasn't supposed to happen. That mystery came, that surprise came, that heartache came, that great Mike Tyson quote moment came. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the throat. Your dreams were not fulfilled. Your doctrines didn't seem to make sense anymore. Your designs didn't work. And so your discipleship is shaken. What does Peter do in our text? He goes fishing. We know he was a fisherman, and what do we do when our hearts get broke, when we fail, others fail us? Most of us, we just go do what we know, don't we? What can I do? I don't know what else to do. But the good news we see here is somebody's really going fishing for him. And there's a lot of grace in this text. Peter dives in, right? You got, oh, I, this, this will sound so crude, but I hope we can be a bunch of Peters in here this morning. I hope that we will be the type of people who, no matter how many times we fail Jesus, we just dive right back in when he shows up. And it's not so much that, that Peter is swimming to Jesus, but I just get this image as I hear, see this text of Jesus reeling Peter in. He doesn't even know it, but Peter thinks he's going for him. But when he, how do, why do I think that? Because guess what happens when they get to the shore? Jesus is waiting for him with breakfast. Verses 9 through 14, we see Peter's left him to get the fish in, you know, because he's just single-minded. But then when he gets there and Jesus is like, bring the fish you have, what happens? Peter goes to work, doesn't he? 
right? It says he, he goes and tries to do it all himself. He's going to show Jesus, isn't he? I'm, I'm still the most passionate, and I'm still the hardest working. But guess what? There is no sign in the text here that Jesus is impressed. Peter just doesn't know how to be anything but himself, like all of us, right? And he's, he's probably wondering, where do we stand, Jesus? The last time we, you looked at me, I just denied you. After I said I never would. What's got Peter this far is not going to get him the rest of the way. The pride, the passion, the outworking. Jesus here is going to have to show Peter a whole different way to be himself that will actually be his true self. I've shared this story before and uh, Hannah came up to me after I said it and, and called it the murder board murder board story so if you guys don't know this our family lives in this neighborhood we absolutely love this neighborhood but this is one of the tougher neighborhoods to live in in our city and we in our early days of living here we had several things stolen we had three bicycles stolen until we put up our glorious and beautiful aesthetically pleasing hog wire fence in the middle of the city here you know because we don't want our neighbors to think that we're not friendly right and, uh, but, but things can get in our fence, not just pit bulls to impregnate our dog, but people can come over our fence. The good news in that, though, is it did make me and Flavio related by marriage. So we're both grandfathers uh, of the dog that Tim gets to chase around when I'm not here, or Caleb or Val or whoever. And so in the middle of, of this uh, thievery, the fence is up. And, you know, you think things are going to be good, but for I had a, a ladder that we used also to climb up our aesthetically pleasing treehouse stand death trap for kids in the neighborhood. And I walk outside one day, and the ladder's gone. And it's my brother's ladder he's let me borrow. And I'm like, where's the ladder at? And Cassie and I are going for a walk, and they're, at least at that time, they don't live there anymore, but there's this really, uh, really high-traffic drug house that was just kind of, as my mom would say, catty-cornered from our house across the parking lot. And we're for a walk, and we go walking, and you look, and laying right there in the front of that yard is my ladder. Now, I'm not a bold person, but enough things that happened to this point uh, is I just walked up to the side of the house, picked up the ladder. They're all sitting on the first front porch, and I'm like, get my ladder. <laughs> and, uh, and they just looked at me, and one of some kid or kid early 20s probably he's like oh okay whatever and I'm just so mad it gets worse I said we we love you we moved here to love you I would let you borrow my ladder I would I would irresponsibly let you probably sleep in our backyard because that's happened but anyway so what I did next was I saw the spot behind our building where they were getting in, and I went and I, got, I, I had some old plywood, and this seemed like a good idea at the moment, and I got some screws, and I ran some screws up through the plywood because it's the dark spot, and I thought, oh, they're jumping the fence right here in the dark behind the building, you can't see them. And so I thought, if they do it again, it will impale their feet. And you know, it, it just seemed right. 
Y'all have the ring security cameras, but I can get you the murder board. <laughs> Credit to Hannah. How many sermons have I preached on loving your neighbor? On loving your enemy? You know, we might have kind of planted a church here with the, the whole point of Matthew's table, a space where people can come, no matter what their issues, sins, problems are, no matter how many ladders they stole. Until you mess with my dreams. Until I've had enough. I'm just like Peter. Standing in that courtyard. Saying I'm not going to do it anymore Jesus. I gave you some time. It's just not how the story was supposed to go. I know nobody's as crazy as me, but I wonder, what is your murder board? What are the loves you had for the mission following Jesus that have proved not enough to actually power you to do it? When in your heart, if not out loud, have you banged your fist and said, why would you let this happen? This is not fair. This is not right. This is not how this was supposed to go. And I quit. I'm not doing it anymore. And you might not do that out loud, right? And nobody might see it, but you might be, I'll show up. I'll do the stuff. But inside, your heart is growing hard. And the grace this morning is, is Jesus is not, has not ran away from you. That not amazing grace? He loves you. Even when you find out there are no silver bullets to relationship or ministry or community or mission. We got to go swimming to him. And so what do we do? Well, next thing we see in the text, and these are the verses you're probably most familiar with, verses 15 through 17, is once we face the powerlessness of our false loves, right? We get to the end of ourselves like, well, what do we have then? Well, next, we've got, we've got to find Jesus as the most powerful love. And this is what he does to Peter in verses 15 through 17. First off, what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, Peter, are you still ready to, to as my old pastor said growing up, are you still ready to charge hell with a water pistol? Peter, are you still willing to cut folks' ears off if they get in the way? Peter, are you still ready to believe in mission? He doesn't say, Peter, do you still believe in missional communities? Do you still believe in fight clubs? No. He says, do you love me? Peter had lived a life that was focused again on a life for Jesus. But it turned out he did not have a deep love and trust of Jesus when things didn't make sense. Again, his dreams, his doctrine, and his design did not deliver. We also notice here when Jesus is doing this, uh, the repeated, do you love me, is he doesn't call him Peter. That's really interesting. But he says, Simon, son of John. Now, why is that so interesting? First off, Peter's an awesome name, right? It's the rock. 
You know, he's, he's the foundation. He's the, he's, the, he's the one who is going to be this great leader. Jesus gave him that name, but now he's saying, no, no, let's put the title to the side. Simon, son of John, like you go home, right? Some of you college students are here. You're going to feel so grown up and respected, and you're going to go back home at fall break or whatever, and you're going to get called by your full name when you get in trouble, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me without your title? Do you love me without your degree? Do you love me without your resume? Do you love me without getting respect? Pastors of the world worst at this. I say this picking on myself. When you're a pastor, you like make everybody feel like they ought to be excited and a part of everything, right? And you're kind of like, you know, backhanded guilting people, right? Why they didn't do all the things, didn't give all the things, show up at all the things. And you know what often happens? And I'm saying this about myself, so I know we got former pastors in here. It's not about you. When you no longer start, you're no longer a pastor, you barely show up somewhere on Sunday morning. <laughs> right? It's like weird. Like, did you believe in all that stuff? Now dial it into you and wherever you're at in your Christian walk, right? When you're wanting other people to do things, you're all like, I, I guess it's just consumer Christianity. Until you don't have a responsibility or until people don't cooperate with your expectations and then all of a sudden you're like, I just need some space. Maybe you do. I don't know. And then there's the comparison here. Do you love me more than these? Now we're not sure if Jesus is talking about fish. He might be. Do you love me more than this economic stability that you can have? But he's also with these other disciples right here. We see some hints to that in the text. And what did Peter always say? I love you more than these. <laughs> it was a big deal. I'm not like everybody else. Really. And then there's the charcoal. If you don't know, that's not, an, uh, that's not a, a random detail. Jesus, Peter did not just deny Jesus around a fire, but if you read back in the Gospel of John, it explicitly says the fire that he denied Jesus around was a charcoal fire. Jesus is doing a multi-sensory engagement here of Peter's heart and body and soul. He's having to literally sit in front of Jesus and smell his denials. He's asking him, do you love me? And what he's doing there, he's not trying to guilt Peter or just rub it in Peter's nose. We know that because of how this text ends. But he's wanting to say, do you love me or you just love your vision you had of me? Do you love the idea of me and my kingdom or do you actually love me? Are you motivated by a, a theory doctrine, a program, an approach to ministry, a heroic finish, or do you just love me? And here's what's amazing why we see Jesus is not here to just beat Peter down is because what comes after each of those do you love me 
is an invitation to continue on the ministry and the mission. And this applies to all of us. It's one of the core values of our church is we believe to be a disciple of Jesus. Inherent in that is a call to make disciples. Right? We believe that we are a, pre, a kingdom of priests. Right? It's, it's, it's what, you have got to, to get this. I've got to get this. That there is an essential priority to being a disciple maker of Jesus. It does not start with feed my sheep. It starts with do you love me? That's very important. When all the sheep stuff gets hard, the relationships, well, I wasn't doing it for that anyway. It's where Jesus wants to get our hearts. I was doing it because I love you. Jesus is here not to again condemn Peter, to restore Peter. The only way that restoration can happen is if there's a flip in how Peter sees himself and he's going to have to see himself with a life that is powered by a love for Jesus and not by his living for Jesus. Y'all have heard us tell the story you know, many times of how we started on this journey and it was moving to a, a church planning residency in Arkansas. And uh, I flipped my microphone on accident. Sound person. It's fine, but if you're wondering. Uh, and we got there, and, and we thought we were moving to, like, this perfect church situation. You know, we saw these videos that were made. You know, all the kind of, I was going to say junk. It's not junk. All the good stuff that we would tell you if you came to, like, our membership class. Oh, man, we're going to live like family. We're going to be serving. Community. You know, we're going to be living on mission. All this stuff that's awesome, and we still believe. And we got out there, and guess what? Surprise, surprise, surprise. There was not our expectations met. And we got super disillusioned. I've quit my job. I've always been a pastor. I've been in leadership. And here I am learning to drive a forklift in a factory. We've made all these adjustments. Cassie's went back to work for the first time with our, our children going into school for the, for the first time. It was, it was making all these sacrifices, right? And then it's like you make all these sacrifices and you're like, I don't even know if they know what they're doing. They're not even doing what the video says. We know more about this than they do. I mean, it sounds horrible, but just being honest, what goes on in your heart. And here I am in this factory being trained by this, no offense to 18-year-olds, this 18-year-old guy who's, you know, just got rap music blaring out of his earphones if he doesn't know that I can hear him. And this other person following me around nervously making sure I don't run the forklift into something, which is probably a good concern. But I'm like, I, I should be preparing sermons. I should be, I should be leading something. And it was if something happened in the middle of all that, that why I'm saying that story again, because y'all have all heard that a hundred times, is by those pallets in that bay, it was if Jesus, through the Spirit, sat me down and said to me, do you love me? Duh! <laughs> I moved halfway across the country because I love you. Really? Really? 
you love me? You know I love you. You know you start getting the point. Do you love me? Or do you just love missions? Missional communities. Church planting. Okay. Why don't you go get to know your coworker and invite them out to lunch and listen to their story? Guess what? Nobody in the church has to say you can do that. I'm just being honest. This is humiliating, right? But we sit around waiting. I need a leader to tell me I can do something and tell me what to do and meet my expectations and put like a knot thing on my shoulder. You, you can do that. In your missional community where you don't feel like there's a lot of community or family, you, like you could love people instead of waiting for somebody to do it for you. You could invite those those families of uh, families of foster children who we were serving. You can like do that. And so we just started doing it. Not because we love the church, because we're following Jesus. So I want you to listen to him before we come to this last point, and I'll go, I'll probably turn into the micro machines, man. Most of y'all don't know who that is. But uh, I want you just to hear him right now. If you're if you're if you're not weirded out by this, if you are, that's cool. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine hearing the voice of Jesus, not in condemnation, but wanting but an invitation. Here we go. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? only in the power of that love that we can last but the last point here the good news as we prepare to come to the Lord's table is it's really not facing the powerlessness of our false loves and finding a love for him to be the greatest motivation but you know what the gospel is the ultimate power is not our love for him but his love for us all right here we go like somebody used to say in our fight club Here's the good part, right? Here's the good part. Verses 18 and 19. He tells Peter how he's going to die for him, right? You know, tradition tells us he wasn't crucified, you know, normal, but upside down. Do you see the promise here? Jesus is telling Peter, if your love now fuels your ministry for me, guess what? You're actually going to become the type of person who can do what you said you were going to do. Like, if you love me, you will be able to die for me. You will be able to be crucified for me. You will be able to step out of your old narrative into my story that ends in crucifixion unto resurrection and not yours that's just a gradual road to glory. And then Peter's able to hear at the end of verse 19 those same old words. Follow me. 
We never mature as disciples out of that. Follow me. Just imagine you getting out of bed in the morning and you've done your prayer time or you've rushed like crazy or even if you've just scrolled on social media, no guilt, no shame, but when at some point in that morning, just tune your little ears in to follow me. And what's the expectation now? You're going to do it. It's not going to be perfect. Peter's going to mess up a lot more. Just go read Galatians 2 later. We don't have time. The big thing here that we can't rush past is Peter's going to be able to grow in this little thing that is a big thing, and that's comparison. He's just been told, you're going to have to suffer this way. You're going to have to make this sacrifice. If you want to step into my story, and what's the first thing the guy does? What about him? What about John? I shouldn't have to do it if nobody else has to. I'm not going to be the only one showing up to really be a disciple maker at Missional Community. I'm not going to be the only one who shows up. We all agreed we were going to do this together. And Jesus looks at Peter like he looks at all of us and says, What is that to you? If your roommates this year don't really love Jesus or put the dishes in the dishwasher, are you going to be motivated by how they respond and how you treat them or are you going to say in the love of Jesus, I'm going to love? You know what will not power you to last on the mission is you holding on to some notion of fairness with a tight grip. What will is you know, and I can so trust Jesus' love that this might look like I'm in a, excuse my language, it could be worse, a crap storm right now. But he's holding me. These people didn't call me to this life of discipleship. He did. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not doing this for your pastors, for your leaders. You're following Jesus. That'll work. That'll last. How can Peter trust him that much, though? How can you trust him that much? How can I trust him that much? Because this is not about Peter's love, or your love, or my love, or our willpower. It's about his love. Who didn't ever give up on Peter? Jesus. Who did not deny Peter when Peter denied him? Jesus. Who is not setting, who is not off moping, having some sort of self-pity situation, and Peter's just going to have to go find him? Like, I guess if I want to talk to Jesus, I'm going to have to go find him because I denied him. If you think that's how Jesus is, it's time for a major change. He's waiting on you. He's made breakfast for you. He loves you. He says, Peter, I... You're going to deny me, but I've prayed for you that Satan would not have you. Who's going to go to the cross? Who went for the, to the cross for Peter? It was Jesus. 
He says to Peter, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. You're going to be dressed by somebody else. Guess who has already did that for Peter? Jesus. And as Tim pointed out after he heard this in a different format at one point, Jesus doesn't make a murder board to hurt Peter because he hurt him so bad. But instead, he takes a murder board upon himself so that Peter doesn't have to ever fear any judgment or condemnation. This is really good news. This is really good news. It's the kind of good news that leads Henry Nouwen to say this about this text. We have here the, the authoritative question of, that's central to all our Christian discipleship because it's the question that at the same time can allow us to be irrelevant and truly self-confident. I'm still trying to figure out what all that means, but I know that's really good news. Imagine that, to be free, to be self-confident and not have to live in the approval performance of others oh there's so much more I want to say but we're going to go to the Lord's table thank y'all for being patient sabbatical in a lot of ways was a coming back to this reality an extended time to just sit with Jesus in his love and to have him stir up my love for him and I pray that what measure that was good or healthy it it does overflow into all our church in deeper ways. The heartbreaks will continue. The expectations will not be met. Things, relationships, designs will not always work. But his love will never fail. And if you think I'm putting words in John's mouth, he wrote another letter and he says this, we love him because he first loved us. Father, we thank you for your love. And as we come now to the table, might you, by your spirit, lead us in the conviction you have for us, but even more in the comfort of the gospel. May we share, may we encourage, as we hold that bread and cup in our hands that reminds us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. At this time, we'll come to the Lord's table. If you're visiting with us, you can just follow a crew, and it'll be explained to you there. Nobody will be embarrassed or made to do anything they don't want to do.